Welcome to AJHP Voices, a series of discussions with AJHP authors and interviews focused on contemporary issues that drive health outcomes. AJHP is the official journal of ASHP. Its mission is to advance science, pharmacy practice, and health outcomes. This is William Selmer for AJHP Voices. The focus of this installment is on an article about a new tool that's been developed for assessing and advancing the teaching effectiveness of preceptors. With me is Dr. Lindsay Davis, Associate Professor of Pharmacy at the Glendale, Arizona campus of Midwestern University. Lindsay, you point out in your article that about one-third of PharmD education and essentially all of postgraduate residency education, consists of experiential learning. This suggests that there may exist an immense opportunity to improve pharmacy learning by enhancing the effectiveness of preceptors. Is that a fair statement? That's a great question, and absolutely. From my perspective as an academician, I recognize that we learn best by doing. I am always wanting to help my learners transition from thinking like a student to thinking like a pharmacist. That can be really difficult in the classroom, but can really come to life in practice, especially if I'm allowing my learners in practice to do the work of a pharmacist. That's where the black and white of what's happening with the content gains color, perspective, shading, depth, however you want to describe it in real life. And we all know that direct patient care is where reality sets in. There's a lot of glory to patient care, but complexity and frustrations as well. So the practice is where um, we practice pharmacy or practice medicine. That's where the art and the science come to life. Right. Briefly, what can you say about what the literature shows concerning uh, methods of performance evaluation of preceptors? From my experience, the most common way that preceptors are evaluated both in student and residency pharmacy training, is through learner evaluation. That seems to be the tried and true method to see how preceptors are doing. And that is certainly a useful tool, but limited to the single perspective of the learner. If I were to make an analogy here using a parallel example, I'm a parent, and I'm a good parent investing in becoming an amazing parent. So every year I ask my children, who are tweens, on feedback on how to guide my development. And so this year, based on my feedback, I'm working on, let's say, relaxed cleanliness in my home, disregarding bedtime, maybe having more junk food and spending more time on social media. <laughs> while that my, while my, my children would love that, I don't know if that's in their best interest. And I'm not convinced that they're in a position to really recognize what's best for them in the moment. Although what they have to say is certainly important and I need to hear it and listen and be sensitive to it. So learner evaluations are useful, but from the perspective of the research team, they should be an important part, but not the only part of evaluations. Preceptor evaluations need to be from a self-assessment point so that we really can dig in on how we can be better for our learner because it's such a close relationship and it's complex. You're trying to deal with the patient in front of you, the work environment you have, and the learner who has their unique needs and interests and looks up to you so much. So we were really looking to create a tool 
that could help our preceptors really dig in and figure out how can I be consistently better for whatever learner comes in front of me. Lindsay, I'm curious, uh, what can you say about the extent to which schools and colleges of pharmacy focus on active development of the teaching skills of preceptors? Here, I want to speak from personal experience. The preceptor education programming I've been to has always been good. I've enjoyed it. But one thing that I've noticed is that it often lacks an authentic application. For instance, we go to a well-polished presentation about how to give feedback or how to navigate conflict or how to help our learner think better or have a better skill set. But we often lack the ability for the preceptors to actually practice doing that and be coached in being better at that. And therefore, we leave with good ideas, but without having done something that actually makes us better. I think that this rubric could help to provide some discreteness about in what particular ways could we be better and really pushing the envelope of having the preceptors set their own goals that are SMART goals, that they're specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-bound, that we're holding the preceptor accountable for improving in the way that they think they could improve to help the learner that's in front of them. I know that as I've been able to, and I've been really fortunate to speak across the country on preceptor development myself, I'm really looking to, again, I I say push the envelope to bring learners along with me into that environment to let the preceptors practice things like Socratic questioning or giving feedback instead of role play or just talking about it. So those are the ways that I have recognized that there's some room for improvement in preceptor development and ways I'm trying to improve upon it, but it's complex. Yeah. Well, you sort of uh, have uh, touched on this point, but I'm curious, is there anything else you would say about what led you and your colleagues to develop the Habits of Preceptors rubric? I'm glad you asked. Our research team actually came up with this idea on from something that was somewhat tangential, and that was how can we measure the success of pharmacists participants in teaching and learning curriculum or teaching certificate programs, as sometimes people say. You know, we often measure it by the number of people who completed the program or what is their satisfaction or confidence on being a preceptor after participating in those programs. But we lacked a tool to measure precepting capabilities and the growth of preceptors in those environments. And through our discussion of that, we came up with the broader idea of, wow, just precepting in general, we're lacking a way of assessing precepting skill. And that got into the concept of the learner evaluation that we were speaking of earlier. I don't mean to diminish the fact that there are excellent publications from within the academy speaking to ways that we can help preceptors grow. We know that there are behaviors of preceptors that are well-described, that there are continuous professional preceptor development portfolios and competency frameworks that have been developed. But we were looking for something that was super tangible, and that's where the idea was born. Mm -hmm. Well, Lindsay, as explained in your article, you and your colleagues used a five-round Delphi method engaging 20 experts for creating the rubric. For purposes of our discussion here, let's set aside information about the development of the rubric, relying on readers of your article to delve into those details. Instead, let's talk about the rubric itself. 
you report that the rubric, which can be used in self or peer assessment, has 11 preceptor habits spread across three domains, and that each habit can be assessed according to four levels of development. The largest domain relates to the preceptor as a practice role model. Could you comment on the content of that domain? I'd love to. But before I jump into what's in domain one, I'd like to give just a little bit of background about how the rubric was set up, because if you don't have a picture of that, it feels a little bit overwhelming, I think. First thing is, it's meant to be a point positive rubric, meaning that we're focusing on desired capabilities of our preceptors, not on things they shouldn't do, but on things that they should do. So we're trying to focus on positive habits, almost redirection of what to do. And if we do more of what we should do, then things that we shouldn't do perhaps will fall away into the background. A little bit on the vernacular. A habit describes what a preceptor does, and then a habit is displayed within a habit level. That's how the preceptor displays the habit, what's observable, tangible, and impacting the learner. Let me bring that back to that analogy I used earlier with parenting. A habit of a parent would be feeding your children. A habit level would be how do I feed my children? How often do I have fresh fruits and vegetables, solid proteins, non-processed foods, feeding three square meals a day? There's a lot to that beyond just I feed my children. And so for, uh, for the rubric, we have habits such as giving feedback or being a role model. It's not just that you do it yes or no discreetly, but at the level to which you do it. The last thing I want to say about the um, rubric that's super important to understand is that there are four habit levels. Developing is the entry-level habit, and every person who approaches the rubric is going to be developing, even if they can't check a single box or that they have a single item fully developed in that way, because you're on the rubric, you're present, you're there, you're developing. Then you grow to proficient habits, and then you go to accomplished habits, and then you go and you strive towards master habits. But the intent is not and shouldn't be that every preceptor across every 11 habits achieves accomplished or master level habits. If we think about this in terms of, let's say, playing basketball, Michael Jordan would be at the master level, but not everybody is going to get to Michael Jordan's level, and that's okay. We should always have something that we're pointing positive to and striving towards. With that, each 11 habit is assessed individually. But getting into domain one, domain one is preceptor is a practice role model. It is the biggest one in terms of it having six individual preceptor habits. And the concept here is that this is less about how the preceptor precepts and more about who the preceptor is. Because we recognize that you become the person you were trained to be, and very often it's what you were modeled. It's that concept of not just doing as I say, but doing as I do. And there's a huge unintended or hidden curriculum in experiential education where it's not just what's on the piece of paper, but what the learner is actually seeing and experiencing being modeled for. And so this domain covers things like the preceptor's professionalism, their ability to maintain professional relationships, that they demonstrate Mm -hmm. self and social awareness, that they display an outcomes-oriented approach to their professional work, that they're continuously developing themselves, they're lifelong learners and that they advocate for positive change in the profession, that they advocate for students, for patients, and for the profession itself. So 
So this first domain is more about the preceptor and who they are as a practitioner and a professional. What can you say then about the next domain uh, regarding the preceptor as an effective educator? This is my favorite domain, not that that matters, but um, <laughs> I lend back to a quote by a now deceased academician, very well-known B.F. Skinner, and his quote is, education is what survives when what has been learned is forgotten. Mm. And that really resonates with me as an academician. I can have the most perfect lecture or model the most perfect patient interaction, but what resonates with the learner and what they'll take with them is what really meant something to them, what stuck in their professional soul, so to speak. And so I'm less about passing a test or getting through a rubric and more about what sits with them and is going to impact them in the future. What story do they leave about how to be a good practitioner? So the three elements of the effective educator piece, so the three habits, are creating a positive learning environment, helping that learner lean in to learning and the challenge of it, that productive discomfort, that you're aligning yourself as a mentor or coach, that you're dedicating time to the learner. You're not just having them follow you around and catch as catch can. The second piece is using established precepting principles. Do you make sure that you uh, help them develop their clinical reasoning skills? that you're not just focused on them having quote-unquote right answers, but that you're developing their thinking skills and their ability to be well-reasoned, recognizing that healthcare is changing and technology is changing and medications are changing. And so we have to help them for not just what's in front of them today, but what's going to be in front of them in the future. Is the preceptor using those four preceptor roles of instruction, modeling, coaching, and facilitating? And then the third habit is can you adapt the teaching methods that you have to meet the needs of the individual learner in front of you? Are you recognizing that not all learners need the same thing to be uh, successful, that we have to meet them where they're at? Every learner has strengths, and how can we capitalize on those strengths and build on their opportunities without diminishing their spirit to move forward? How can we tailor that experience and if and when we have multiple learners, how can we simultaneously meet the needs of multiple learners? It's pretty complex. And that's what that rubric digs into uh, in that regard. Finally, what can you say about the domain of the preceptor providing high quality assessment of learners? So in my experience so far of sharing the rubric with preceptors, both uh, new preceptors and seasoned preceptors, this is the domain that individuals tend to, tend to lean into initially, they immediately gravitate to it, recognizing the value and wanting guidance on how to improve in this area. So when we talk about assessment, it's important that we recognize that there are two types of assessment, formative assessment and summative assessment. Formative assessment is giving feedback and summative assessment is evaluating the learner. So therefore there's two domains or two habits within this domain providing accurate quality feedback to the learner and evaluating the learner performance appropriately. The highlights of this are that we wanna make sure that it's feedback and evaluation is based on realistic and mutually agreed upon goals, both from the learner and from whatever training program they're in. And then it's based on direct observation. It's well-reasoned, it's accurate, it's fair, it's explicit, and it's timely. Those are the pieces that are within that domain. Yeah. Lindsay, what can you say about the extent of utilization of the rubric among student and residency preceptors and the different ways it's being used? The rubric is 
still very new. And so we haven't had a ton of experience yet with its use, especially in the long term of what impact it's making. But we're a work in progress. We did launch our website, www.habitsofpreceptors.org, about nine months ago. It's made the rubric freely accessible to anyone who wants to use it. So I can't say all the ways it's being used yet. I know that locally at my college of pharmacy at Midwestern University, we are using it in our teaching and learning curriculum to be able to witness the growth of our participants. We are actually working on a manuscript on that now, and we've seen some positive data. So I hope there's more to come. Mm -hmm. Well, as we draw our conversation to a close, Lindsay, uh, do you have any advice for those who are contemplating use of the rubric? First thing I want to say is that our research team did not let perfection get in the way of progress. So we in no way think that our rubric is perfect as it stands. This is an evolving organic document, and we anticipate making adjustments to it over time as we have more information and we see how it's being used and how it can be refined. I would like you to appreciate that the rubric is intended to be robust and challenging and helping us think about the ways we can be better, noting that we'll never be a perfect preceptor, but that we can always strive for improvement. When you look at the rubric, I'd say take it in in small doses. It's onerous when you first look at it, but it gets easier on the eyes when you've seen it several times. Think about it like guidelines or accreditation. You wouldn't jump into guidelines or go through your residency accreditation all in one sitting. You'd have to think about it over time. Use the parts of the rubric first that make sense to you, that you feel connected to, whether it's the assessment piece or the professionalism piece or the utilizing effective teaching methods. So lean in where it makes sense. Use it to help yourself make, uh, get better and engage with us uh, through our website or if you know any of the authors personally. Uh, we'd love to work with you and see how we can make this a tool that is impactful for our entire profession that helps improve patient care and helps the training of pharmacists become better and better. Well, very good. Uh, Lindsay, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, thank you so much for making time for it. I appreciate it. This is William Zelmer for AJHB Voices. I've been speaking with Dr. Lindsay Davis of Midwestern University in Glendale, Arizona. She is one of the authors of the article, Development of a Tool to Assess and Advance the Effectiveness of Preceptors, the Habits of Preceptors Rubric. Thank you for listening. That concludes this interview. For more information about AJHP, the premier source for impactful, relevant, and cutting-edge professional and scientific content that drives optimal medication use and health outcomes, please visit www.ajhp.org.